I'm Tierra, Myra, Kat, and we are part of We Rise Production. I'm here because all of the work that we do with We Rise is to show up in solidarity and raise awareness about different struggles towards our collective liberation. So we hope to inspire people through storytelling and art and collaboration. Here primarily to answer the call of indigenous leadership to come here um, and be part of this front line. It's far, it can feel geographically far from where we're all based on the west coast, but the work that's happening here to protect water and to protect our future from climate chaos is necessary for us. On In California we're experiencing wildfires, we're experiencing drought. Um, and so, uh, and all, we understand that all of our fights are connected. So, mm -hmm. taking the time to show up here um, and see what we can contribute to the movement, and also see what we can bring back, what connections we can make, because we know when we're coordinating on multiple fronts, we're stronger together. So we can all fight for our children to have a livable future. Is why we're here. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Ember Phoenix. Ben Jocelyn. Where are we right now? Northern Minnesota. Northern Minnesota on Anishinaabe territory in the 1855 treaty area. We're on a land uh, that's owned by an indigenous land trust called Aking. And Aking uh, translates to the land to which people belong. That's a loud sound. Oh yeah, that's Enbridge. They're actively destroying the land to which people belong. That's a 30 or 40 foot high post being driven straight into the ground adjacent to a pipeline that they've put under the Mississippi River right next door to us uh, and it grates on us every day and makes our existence more difficult. Uh, yeah, we can feel it like vibrating through our bodies. Yeah. I'm Carrie Pickett and I'm a filmmaker making media for Honor the Earth right now. In 2013, the Sandpiper Pipeline was announced and it was set to go through the same route, basically, that Line 3 is going. And in 2015, Enbridge added the Line 3 pipeline to the Sandpiper because they wanted to make a corridor, a pipeline corridor. And through indigenous activism and allies working in the courts, the Sandpiper was defeated in August of 2016. And they took 
Enbridge Energy took their money that they were going to spend on the Sandpiper Pipeline and they put it into the Dakota Access Pipeline. They, they added their money to Energy Transfer Partners and gave Energy Transfer Partners the boost, economic boost, that it needed in order to complete the DAPL Pipeline. And so Line 3 and DAPL are related in a sense because um, Enbridge Energy is the connecting tissue between them. And so we all here in Minnesota have seen the Sandpiper be defeated and we know it's possible for pipelines to be defeated. And so we're holding out hope that until that oil is flowing in Line 3, that, that tar sands oil, we're going to stand up and fight it because it's really going to break the carbon bank. Jake Spotted Wolf, I'm indigenous. Um, I'm three affiliated tribes, so that's Mandan, Sanish, and uh, Hidatsu out of North Dakota and Montana Territory. Um, I'm an activist out in Seattle. I've been there since 97, uh, but I've been doing this work for about a year on this level of intensity. Um, and I ended up out here knowing that there was more work to be done than what I could be doing in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and there was more solidarity in terms of other indigenous and other activists that are going as hard. This felt like a place that I could finally show up and have, um, you know, the, the physical energy and the mental energy to put towards doing some really good work. And I've been out here since May 19th. Wow. Yeah. Um, we are uh, in Aiken, Aiken, Aiken County. Aiken mm -hmm. County. <laughs> yeah, where are we? At the uh, sheriff's department, we're waiting on arrestees that may or may not have already been brought here, um, and waiting to find out what our status is for other potential arrests from an action this morning. Do you want to say more about the action? Uh, yeah, we Willow Sir? River. There may have been some uh, blockading that went down allegedly. Um, and cops took people out of the river. From what we have heard, this is speculation so far, we don't have confirmation, so I don't want to put that out there and then have people in a frenzy. Um, but that said, uh, indigenous people were in canoes on the water, and it's said that the cops uh, were going to arrest them from there. I do have confirmation that they were kettled. So that's hugely problematic in the sense that um, one, that they were indigenous, two, it's their treaty land, and three, that it was a public waterway that they weren't doing anything wrong in. Um, they weren't locked down. Uh, they weren't doing, they were not trespassing to get to the water. It was public land. So uh, in terms of egregious activity by officers and how they abuse their power, uh, that's one example. And we're waiting. We're just sitting here waiting for, um, status updates in terms of who is where, um, if we have some comrades inside. And this morning's action was really important because the drilling has already begun underneath the Mississippi. Yep, so as we went back to camp to regroup, um, we heard the drill down at the other side of the river, uh, of where we were, from Willow River. They were down at the Mississippi, so um, it was really hard to hear just because you knew what it was you know you knew it was a drill you knew it was going under the so not hard to hear in terms of like the 
volume, mm -hmm. it was hard to hear that activity happening. Yeah, yeah, really painful. Coming here is the first time that I have been at the Mississippi River um, and thinking about and learning more about how that river flows. It connects through so many places that where my ancestors have had to survive and have had to, um, you know, cross and find relationship with the land here. And so having some time to just, you know, begin building relationship to land here. Um, also, I, I feel the need to say that as we're having this interview, I don't know if it's recorded, but we can hear the work that Enbridge is doing um, to uh, violate indigenous sovereignty on this land. We also know that that um, is connected to the violation of our indigenous sisters, two-spirit people, and other folks who are trafficked um, and who go murdered and missing as um, from these man camps as these pipelines are being constructed. And so both having um, time to be nourished here and then also like hearing the violation, feeling the vibration in our bodies, it goes on even through the night. Even through the night, people are hearing the drilling and beeps and whatever from this these machines that are extracting and stealing not only from indigenous people, from from all of our children's futures. Um, it's, it's, re it's really dissonant, both um, I think we're uh, feeling very much here how lands can nourish and hold us, also having opportunities to give back, but then yeah, hearing that violation and understanding that if we're being nourished by the land, that we have to fight for the land. Yep. So I am black and indigenous. I am enslaved African, you know, transatlantic, nonsense. I don't know where my people are from because that's a part of like being brought over here and not having access to that history. And then I'm also Dene with my people in Arizona and Cherokee. Um, sitting at that intersection of being black and indigenous, I have always tried really hard to figure out how to navigate what it means to not be of this continent and to be of this continent that has been colonized like you know part of my people were brought over here by the colonizers and the other half of my people were murdered and their territory taken over and we now live in a world where because of white supremacy culture all of these issues are structured in such a way where creating solidarity is really hard because white supremacy would like to keep us all apart. I've spent the last few years of my life, you know, doing a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff, fighting for the rights of um, the black community, which we all know in this country are not seen as humans, like all the deaths that we've had to navigate, all of the oppression and segregation and harm that comes towards our people and there's no end in sight and being also indigenous and very clear and grounded in my spiritual practice I always knew that there had to be a way to take the practices of my indigenous ancestors 
around sovereignty and community and interdependence and apply them in a way that we could build the communities of support and um, uprising in between different communities. I was nervous about coming up here because I do know that um, there's this place where you sit when you look one way but you know identify another and being in northern minnesota with like proud boys and stuff looking like a black woman um that that could be triggering but i also know that this fight is all of our fight there is no way to talk about reparations and repair and harm and racism if we're not talking about land sovereignty if we're not talking about land back if we're not looking at the genocide and the invisibility of the indigenous peoples there's no talking about racial injustice if we're not talking about climate injustice the 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 fight is the same the problem is how do we negate what it means to be colonized as a black person but also to be struggling with the harm caused as an indigenous person like where is the healing that comes of taking these two groups of people and getting them together to work through some of the harm that is caused by white supremacy culture so that we can get to a place where we are grounded in this fight together there's no separation for me between the two um, I don't think that we can have the healing and the repair that's needed as my black community if we're not also fighting for land sovereignty and the rights these treaty rights this water the the peoples whose land that they have always been here to steward was taken and is being harmed so i knew coming here was a way to build a bridge it was a way that I did not have to deny either part of myself. It was a way that I could figure out what it meant to be seen in all parts of who I am at all of those intersections and to move forward with healing and justice centered in that place versus having to choose between one or the other. Right. One, indigenous have stewarded the land because they've lived on it. You know, they know how the land moves, how the land works, how it functions, what it responds to best. And they, they are in tune with it. And in that, um, they need to have input, you know, in local, um, like government, uh, Governor Inslee in Washington refused to speak with tribes, right? That's a huge miss on his part. Again, on another person who ran on climate, for the presidential ticket. That was his whole platform, and he refuses to go to natives. That's a huge miss in that the natives in Washington know that land better than anybody else. We're talking, you know, them compared to environmental scientists who I get that are, you know, well-informed and educated, but you can't uh, have the same input that you can from somebody who has, like, this is ingrained in their DNA, right? They know... Um, and it, it is science, right? Yeah, just taking in the data, um, calculating that, and having, you know, a rather good hypothesis of what, you know, the next year or the next three seasons are going to bring. And these are people who have had to watch the land for survival, right? And because up until colonization, that's how they stayed alive. They had to watch the crops. They had to watch 
um, you know, when it was going to rain, when it wasn't, um, how the land responded to whatever they planted. So in terms of like, you know, fire damage, say, um, the indigenous know how to go out and clear cut or what to clear cut or uh, what to prune back and how to prune it back well in order to keep these uh, fires from growing out of control. And we've seen those fires every year. We've never had a fire problem in the Pacific Northwest and for the past five years, um, it's been so gray, so smoky that the, the sun is just like a little orange spot, you know, in the sky. Um, people having to buy HEPA filters and, you know, all the stores having run out of those filters. And these are things that in the indigenous know how to prevent but they're not being brought to the table or taken seriously, really. Because I think at that point, um, if governments were gonna talk to indigenous, they would also have to admit at one point, um, you know, we've done you wrong, we've done you bad, and we have very much participated in a genocide against your people. We spent a lot of time up here dealing with whiteness in action. You know, people come up here. One of the big things about like indigenous sovereignty and fighting these pipelines is that you deal with whiteness in the form of people care about climate justice. And so they get attached to indigenous sovereignty in the realm of, I don't want that pipe in, right. without actually understanding that it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yes. The corporations that keep trying to destroy this land are terrible, horrible practices that are just a continuation of centuries of the rape and pillage of this land and its people. But you can't actually care about climate justice if you're not paying attention to those marginalized who are most affected by it. And that would be the indigenous folks who nurtured and stewarded this land way before, you know, people from other countries came over and took over. Like they had a system that worked. That system can still be applied. It's applicable. And so if you're not getting in touch with the parts of yourself that are holding all of this ancestral trauma of the harm done here and like dismantling it so that we can get back to a place where we're conscious of how we move with each other and with the land, then we're not actually gonna make a difference. And so here, that's what we do. We spend a lot of time doing trauma work here and navigating white supremacy culture and white fragility and patriarchal nonsense and trying to teach people what it actually means to let women lead. Indigenous and black women have a wisdom that is always superseded by nonsense, but it's so powerful. It's so dynamic. It's so full of magical groundedness that here that's what we follow we we really try to let the leadership of the people of this land and of those who sit in marginalized places create the foundations like we're not operating from any structure that's already set up in this colonized world we're creating our own from the ground up and we're doing it together and making sure to include all of those voices that for centuries have been denied and silenced. And it is very hard 
because of that intersection with dealing with climate and with this pipe. And so we spend a lot of time here being really grounded and really intentional and healing and, you know, being vulnerable enough to look inside ourselves and all of us, like, you know, and where those places inside of us where we hold our own ancestral trauma, where we hold our own colonization and speaking it out loud. And once we know better, we do better. Um, I think the hardest thing for me is that because I sit at that intersection of presenting as just a black person, but also holding indigenous bloodlines that uh, a lot of anti-blackness tends to show up and to navigate that and to make the choice to be willing to navigate white supremacy culture and educate and give so much labor, yeah. um, it it's literally a moment by moment thing that I have to renegotiate with myself. Like, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Is this good for me? Am I taking good care of myself? Do I feel heard? Do I feel safe? And I consistently have to remind myself that my goal is to create a world where the generations to come do not have to navigate in this way, but also to show that this fight does not need to be done in a way where I'm suffering. Like, so I try really hard as one of the people in this camp to model joy as an act of resistance. Um, so dance parties sometimes need to happen. Um, from like, you know, having concerts on the river to like bring awareness, to praying in the river, to singing, to moving our bodies, to cooking really good food, to giggling. Um, you know, I, I try to make sure that there's time for that in between, you know, the, the pain and the suffering and the noise and the vibrations of that drill and the nasty racism that infects these towns because they don't have the skill set yet to know that this fight is theirs as well. Um, that we're not just fighting for a people, we're fighting for all the people. I was doing this, you know, 13 hour drive north and at some point I had this solemn moment where I started to like think about whether or not uh, I would sacrifice my life if it meant that the drill would stop and the Mississippi would be saved. And then had to laugh at myself for my own fucking white saviorism bullshit. Yeah. Just like there is no world in which that scenario exists. Yeah. Totally. That's just not the question and it's not useful to be thinking in those terms. And so got back to how can I show up in a good way? How can I be useful here? And, uh, and I try and do what I'm asked to the best of my ability, and then the next thing. Yeah. Sun. Sun, short for sunflower. That people go through like a typical progression when they stay here. They come here, they find, they come here for different motivations and they find something that's bigger than their motivation. They don't want to intellectualize or politicize what they're doing anymore. They just want to 
protect what's sacred and they experience it. So coming here, people discover wonderful people, other people, the conversations you have just carry you so much. So it's very hard to leave in the first place and it's almost impossible not to come back. People go long ways to come back. You come from California <laughs> and yeah. you'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody goes through this, it seems. And it seems like to me, I mean, it's partially just, you know, living, sleeping closer to the dirt and there's trees and there's birds that wake you up and there's just being kind of a little more removed from kind of mainstream grind culture. Yeah. It's a proof um, of concept that you can live differently. Yes, exactly. So it, it is, it truly is. Tanya likes to call this resistance camp um, rehabilitation center for fossil fuels. and Fossil fuel addiction. Fossil fuel addiction, exactly. And um, I believe this is what we all need to experience. And then you can also see the destruction firsthand of um, the public lands. You can see the excessive amount of clearing that happens. You can uh, feel the earth shaking. You can hear the horrible sounds of the machinery ripping into the earth. And so it's an um, ironic situation that we're sitting here in this idyllic situation and we listen to that horrible sound it's constantly. so loud. Yep. Yeah. You could feel it when we were sitting at the lodge while they were drilling underneath the Mississippi at the crossing where we are in Palisade. You could feel the earth shaking and you could feel bubbles making their way through the ground. That's a fracking. <laughs> Quite literally, an experience in this is really unnatural. It makes you feel more than uneasy. It's you reject this profoundly, and it's true. This dynamic of being able to enjoy and to discover or rediscover the joys of living differently, and to be faced with the destruction so brutally, so constantly, so obviously, they don't hide it at all. There's no secret around it. They do it proudly. It's a very interesting dynamic. It's a contrast that just fuels, even not fuel, that... Ah, <laughs> nice catch. Uh, it's a contrast that really feeds your desire for fight, you know, and to stop it. And just the mere fact that this whole space, especially the Welcome Water Protective Center, is anchored into art making, legal action, and spiritual standing, I think this is... Um, what can really rally people around that. It's not a dangerous place, on the contrary. This is where you can ra raise your children, quite it's literally. It's a healing space. It is, it is. And it's a resistance camp, you know, so it gives you an yeah. inherent purpose, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> which people right. lack of so, yeah, so, exactly. so much. Mm -hmm. um, well, so say we share this conversation, share more media, share, share more and more, and more folks learn about Line 3. What's the hope? What's the action? What's the ask? Uh, if you can get out here, um, you know, bodies mean more than you would imagine um, in terms of uh, solidarity, in terms of keeping the momentum up, and in terms of, you know, pulling off some of these actions that do need support. And if you can't show up um, physically, then there are camps that, you know, do need donations, you know, we are subsisting on food that comes from the goodness of people and their hearts and that believe in environment and believe in protecting the climate, um, and protecting the environment. 
so if you can't, you know, show up in physical body, show up in any way you can just to support this this fight. And if you can't do it for climate, then do it because um, resource extraction is another form of indigenous genocide. You know, so keep that heavy on your heart that people will die. Um, and I don't mean just because of a pipeline bursting. There's a huge epidemic of sex trafficking along pipelines because man camps set up. And when they do, um, traffickers come in and exploit indigenous boys, girls, teenagers, and adults. And that epidemic is at 22% higher than any other demographic in the United States. So consider that it, people will die and these people will be exploited and um, they won't overcome that trauma. So as much as you know, it's easy to sit back at home and think like, well, it doesn't affect me and I've got a good life and I don't wanna get involved in something that could get me arrested. We're out here doing this. <laughs> Not because we like living in the woods. I don't hate living in the woods, but I've got relatives, you know, that could be exploited tomorrow. I've got seven nieces that at any moment could be stolen and brought to these man camps and trafficked. Um, so think of that as your little girl or your little boy, you know, that could be stolen and that could die because, because of greed, because of capitalism and because you know white people just can't help themselves <laughs> you know even if you can't show up and donate or show up in body call and harass police departments tell them what they're doing is wrong indigenous people being taken out of public waterways is wrong right and you do have a voice you do have power when it comes to um letting law enforcement, letting city governments know their culpability and where they're wrong. As much as it feels uh, very fear-based to think like that, like, I don't want to get myself in trouble. I don't want to get my family in trouble. If I put myself out there to law enforcement, I put myself at risk. Well, you're going to be at risk if the climate completely implodes, right? We're all going to be at risk. If slash it already is. It already is. Yeah. A fire in the Gulf is no small thing. And fires in the Pacific Northwest and rising temperatures is no small thing. So your time will come anyway. Take a stand in the meantime for something that is right, you know, for humanity, human rights, for climate rights, environmental rights, indigenous rights, like across the board, stand for something before the climate takes you out. that live in these places. Yeah. The yeah, if you're an animal lover, if you hate humans, which right, is understandable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then at least stand for the trees, stand for Earl if the like Squirrel. Swimming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> these waters are amazing. Like sweltering heat. Right. Yeah. Right. Stand for that. You know, stand for the flowers that you love to sniff and smell and look at. You know, that stuff is important and it really is Earth is an amazing, incredible planet and so unique in that we are able to exist here. And we only got one, as much as that sounds very cliche. We fuck this up, it's over. And I would hate to see that.
we cannot respond in the way white supremacy wants us to, which is with that like fast paced, anxious, you know, response that tends to mean we're not grounded, we're not intentional, and we're not paying attention to the consequences of our behavior. There are many ways to do this work and everybody's way is needed in some way or another. So there are those who like do policy and talk to politicians and write bills and do that. There are those who are on different front lines, you know, resisting police brutality and, you know, standing for the lives of people. There are those who are making sure that like knowledge is being dispersed and that people are hearing about what's happening here, what's happening with murdered indigenous women, what's happening with black lives, what's happening with children in the system, what's happening with our prison, our school to prison pipeline. Like, you know, all of those things are, are necessary. And then there are those who are actively here protecting in the form of building you know like you know we were in the water the other day resisting and finding joy um, i was with my indigenous elders and some other people and we were talking about how like the warriors are needed and the healers are needed and it's so true like it's really important to find your lane to stay in it and to understand that all of the ways are needed. And up here right now, yes, sometimes we actively get in the way. Sometimes we're praying and sometimes we're building. You know, like all of the ways really matter. And for me, it's been about like finding that balance and figuring out where I belong. Um, I've watched over the last few years so many activists um, people of color, black people, indigenous people, queer people who burn out, who are no longer with us. And it's because we're so willing to put our bodies on the line because things are urgent and we don't have the care and the support and the time to heal that we need that we're dying for the cause. And that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. So and it's necessary because somebody has to be yelling, someone has to be standing, someone has to be making sure that these voices are heard and that these murders are not going without justice. Like, or, like, And we don't get it most of the time, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop demanding it. And so it's like finding that balance of being in that place of urgency because I don't want to lose one more person. Each life matters. Right. And so, like, I feel the urgency, but I also recognize that some some people have to slow down and take the time to be really conscious and like, OK, so we're trying to burn shit down because these systems don't work. All of the foundations of this country were built upon belief systems that are harmful and only meant to protect a very small subset of people. And they need to come down. But what goes up in their place? We can't just tear something down and not have something that is there to hold the people because then more harm will happen. And so while some people are in the place of fighting and functioning in a place of survival and defense, some people also need to be figuring out what those new models look like. What are we trying to build instead? And how do we do it? Like, let's not just talk about it, but let's create it. Let's see what can work. Let's see, let's see what it looks like when we take all the things that 
we know we want and take all the things that we know we're missing and take all of that hurt and all of that pain and all of that trauma and open up about it and heal together what can exist inside and outside of that place what beautiful magnificent reality can we envision and then turn into a new paradigm and if we don't practice it when we tear this down we're just going to recreate a version of what we already have and it's going to continue to be bad and destructive and i also don't want to dismiss the folks who are standing in front of this line and standing up against what is just crushing and i find so much beauty and bravery and 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 preciousness in the folks who are standing up and saying no and there's a um i think that that is a hugely valuable part of this movement uh that wouldn't exist without it i wouldn't be here if they hadn't brought me up people who are doing those kinds of things brought attention to this said no said no loudly said no with their bodies and at great consequence to themselves and that's part of the reason that i i knew it was happening and part of the reason why i'm here and mm-hmm. there's ways to do it that are um less harmful than others yeah. and and it's also a privilege so there's a privilege that comes along with the ability and comfort to physically put your body on the line or physically chain yourself down to something and then there are those who it literally is a great sacrifice because we're already sitting in marginalized places and you know some of us do choose to still put our bodies on the line and some of us choose to do the work in different ways and we really just need to acknowledge that and understand that there again there are multiple ways to do this work um as a queer black indigenous um female two-spirit identifying person i'm not locking my body down to uh, a a pipe because that's violence that i don't need um and then the police retaliation after that i don't need have i done that kind of work before have i stood at the front lines absolutely but i always stood at the front lines in defense of something or someone so like i stood at the front lines defending indigenous people, defending my black elders and my black, you know, nibblings and siblings. Like I am totally willing to put my body on the line for that. But no, I personally don't have the privilege to do this work in a way where I can take the chance to traumatize myself and maybe not even be around for my child by locking down to a pipe and knowing that I'm going to be arrested and brutalized. So I don't. I find what my lane is and I find the way to do this work and not have to sacrifice myself. And it's really great to have those who can do that, who do have the privilege to do that, or who feel like that is, whether they're in a marginalized position or not, that is where they best serve the cause. I best serve this cause being with indigenous women in leadership, praying, and creating new paradigms and singing and dancing and talking about trauma and talking about white supremacy culture, um, working on racial injustice and trying to bridge the gap, trying to make this space a safe place for black people because the fight is similar, but also trying to make that space a safe place for indigenous people so that you know all of the harms that we cause each other because of our own internal you know colonization and our own ancestral trauma can have a space to come up and be healed so that we can treat each other in a way that bridges connection 
in a way that bridges true solidarity and in a way that says no to white supremacy culture and no to staying separate in a fight that literally includes all of us. I truly believe in leaving nobody behind, but in order to get to the place where we leave nobody behind, we have to work through the things that cause us not to be safe to each other. Because I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I allow violence to come towards me, even by my own people, right? So it's like, let's do the work so that that doesn't need to be the reality. And let's stop this pipeline and all the ways that need to be stopped. And let's stop racial injustice and the senseless murder of indigenous women and black people. And let's do something different. And let's do it together. We're going to return the land into the sovereignty of those who have always stewarded it. And we are going to find a way to be together that does not cause more trauma, but that offers a space for healing and growth. It's our last day at camp and I'm on the dock on the river and the sun is shining and the water is reflecting off of the trees that overhang the banks and there's that drill and I'm seeing something in the water that I haven't seen since we got here which is this foam these like clusters of bubbles of foam on the top of the river and I was just in the water and you can feel the vibration from the drill in the water it just looks and feels different than when we first got here even after five six days of drilling Land back, decolonization, reparations, they can seem like these big concepts. And some of us are so heartbroken um, by what these systems have done to us that we feel like even though we know that that's the right path, we feel like we can't get there. And we give up and we feel like we, we should just, you know, why not join them? Why not, you know, we can't beat them, why not join them? Mm. But those are the dreams that hold our children. Those are the dreams where our children are well and thriving and healed and whole. Those are my dreams for the future and I'm grateful to be in a, in a place in this time um, where folks are working to make that a reality and there are ways that I can contribute. Yeah. Plenty of things wrong with the world but we gotta celebrate those that are right and practice those that are right so we can move into the, the world we deserve because uh, we deserve joy. Yeah. We deserve a, a planet where we can be on the earth and not feel poisoned where we can have access to nature and climb a tree and swim in the body of water closest to you it's just tragic that most people can't swim in the lakes and the streams near them for fear of agricultural runoff and just so the poisons that we constantly put in the earth and to be in a world where those joys aren't denied ourselves and our children and our children's children and follow indigenous leadership you know no matter where you are indigenous people exist follow black leadership Follow the leadership of, you know, 
queer folks, of women, of non-men, you know, who are in these positions of um, black, indigenous spaces doing the work, you know, like follow them, listen to them, honor them, uplift and support them, um, figure out whose land you're inhabiting, you know, and then do what you can in those areas to uplift those people because all lands were stolen from the indigenous peoples. And so everyone inhabits a territory that has an indigenous, you know, origin. Who are those people? Get to know those people. Get to know your people because whiteness is a construct. Where do you actually come from? Where do your people come from? What were their beliefs? What were their practices? Get grounded back into your ancestors and in doing so, you get grounded back into the knowledge and wisdom that we all have inside of us. We were all born with about what it means to show up in right relationship with each other, with this land, with these waters, and with this universe. Being white is a thing we created. It is not our... I didn't create it. Yeah, I was going to say, not all people created that. <laughs> like, you know, this, this society created. Like, white supremacy culture created this separation. But we all come from somewhere. And wherever it is we come from, those people have traditions that are indigenous to taking care of and nurturing and stewarding those lands. And even if you're not there right now, you can get grounded back in that and do the work to show up, to follow the indigenous folks of this place that we call Turtle Island. And we can all do better. And once you know better, do better. Period. End of story. Mic drop, I'm done. Yep. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Any last thoughts you'd like to add? Or... We rise, 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 should we also do a little, we will stop lying three, the people and the water will flow free. We will stop line three. The people and the water will flow free. I'm gonna go up. We will stop line three. The people and the water will flow free. We will stop line three. The people and the water will flow free. To learn more, stay connected, and join in the movement to Stop Line 3, you can visit stopline3.org. Thank you for listening to the We Rise podcast. You can learn more about our cultural production at weriseproduction.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you can email us through the link on our website. And connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at We Rise Production and on Twitter at We Rise Producers. 
We Rise is a labor of love, and we deeply appreciate your support. If you're able, you can contribute to our Patreon or PayPal, which you can find on our website. Shout out to our brilliant music producer, Diasporadical, to the inspirational youth of Pink Panther Sorority for our theme song, our compassionate transcriptionist, Yolanda Mendoza, and to our collaborators, creatives, and visionaries, lifting hearts and minds in classrooms, on stages, in Zoom rooms, and on front lines across Turtle Island and overseas.